now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Hello and welcome to Just Science. I'm Lauren Mangum, your producer and host. In celebration of National Forensic Science Week, Just Science will be releasing multiple Just So You Know episodes where you'll be hearing directly from the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence's team. Today we have Danya Slack on to discuss her background and all the resources she brings to the FTCOE. Welcome, Danya. Hi. So what is your job title at RTI International? So at RTI International, I am a research forensic scientist. Okay. Uh, how did you get into forensics? <laughs> I was not trained as a forensic scientist. I actually have my master's degree in cellular and microbial biology from Catholic University in Washington, D.C. So in graduate school, my research was focused around cancer research. So I was looking at a transcription factor that's involved in cancer regulation genes. And when I left with my master's in 2003, I was looking for different career paths that I wanted to take my research uh, primarily and some of my bench work experience. So I applied to lots of different types of jobs. And then I remember coming across and you'll laugh because it dates me. I did say it was 2003, but I looked in the newspaper. <laughs> and, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Old mediums. Here yes. we go. Uh, I know the internet probably existed there and there was probably job places, but I looked in the newspaper and I it's found- It's that weird transition period that no one wants to talk about. <laughs> it is. Know? So I found in the newspaper two jobs that were in forensics, one at Aftel in their mitochondrial DNA unit, and then one at the Bodhi Technology Group. But the Bodhi Technology one seemed really interesting to me because it was in their research division. And I had not done casework before. I actually didn't know anything about forensic science. And so when I saw that it was more research driven, I really felt it was a really good fit for me and kind of gives you a window into my overinflated ego a little bit. I was a little <laughs> surprised that I didn't get an interview. And so I was like, that's weird. I feel like this is a job that was meant for me. So I actually remember calling their HR representative and said, <laughs> there you go. Right, Initiative. That's me. And so I called them up and I said, hey, I'm a little bit confused. I sent in, I faxed you my resume weeks ago and I haven't heard back. And they're like, oh, what's your name? And I told them my name. They're like, we never got that. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me fax it again. Right. So, <laughs> so I faxed in my resume again. And then I would say 30 minutes later, I get an excited call. And anyone that knows Dr. Bob Beaver from Bodhi Technology, I, and he's actually a staple in, in our field. He is a fantastic mentor. Anyone in the DNA world knows Bob. He's like, oh, oh, I'm really excited about your resume. I'd love to have you in for an interview. And I said, okay. So I came in for an interview and it went really well. And that's how I got into forensics. You started in what position at Bodie? I was a research scientist one. So the at the lowest rank that you right. can be in the research department. And so I was working on several different projects. I didn't fully have my own project. But what I did have, because I did come from a lab that didn't have a lot of money in graduate school, I was able to kind of figure out how to make assays work with very little resources. So okay. yeah, my first project that I worked on was uh, for the FBI. It was looking at a Bacillus cereus bacteria. And that is pretty much a cousin to anthrax. So it's really our anthrax uh, 
program that we had that we okay. were looking to do some decontamination studies to determine whether or not you can attribute what spore has been on forensic substrates of interest, even if it's been decontaminated. So oh, this wow. was kind of, yeah, it yeah. was right after some of the anthrax you know, letters, mailing, all of those things. So yeah, so we were working on that project. So Bob asked me if I could do amplified fragment length polymorphism. So it's just a different way to run a gel. And these gels literally take like 24 to 36 hours to run. So I remember I called it my Frankenstein lab actually at Bodie because I wasn't actually given lab space. I was in between post-amp and pre-amp in a hallway and they said, you can have this hallway and set up whatever equipment you need to do AFLP. And so I was like, okay. And so, sure. yeah, I begged, borrow, and steal the equipment, even from my old graduate department. I called them up. I'm like, I need a the recirculating water cooler. Do you have one in storage? And they're like, sure, you can have this one. So pieced it all together. It, it really MacGyvered it. It looked like a Frankenstein. Like There was <laughs> tubes running everywhere. It was loud. And the Such gels a bad took, scientist. it really was, mm-hmm. 24 hours to run a gel. So I remember doing that for months before I got my very first gel to work out. So that was super exciting. And then, funny story, that was 2004. I, we just were published on that paper this past year with- uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, Dr. Came full circle. <laughs> it did. That's, it that's took quite that a long. build. Yeah, it took, took a while. And Bodhi gave you many interesting experiences. Oh, yeah. Um, it, you ran the gamut yes. on, on what you did. So you spent 13 years at yes. Bodhi. What was your position when you finally- left. Yeah, throughout that over a dozen years that I was there, I was able to kind of work my way up to actually being the director and and one of the vice presidents. I led the government research group at Bodie. Okay. Bodie was, I mean, it made me what I am today. I still hold Bodie in high regard and everybody that works there. And so it was interesting to kind of progress. First, as a scientist, I was able to work on a lot of interesting programs for the government. So we worked on projects for the FBI, the DOD, intelligence community. And so mine always stayed in really more in the research realm. We did do some casework for um, some customers, but it was kind of like a typical type of casework. And so uh, I was able to have a lot of great experiences with working on site at government locations. Uh, I've actually done some really exciting projects where I get to kind of think outside of the box along with my the teammates that, that we had where we could kind of really investigate novel ways to do human identification, specifically in the field. So that's one of the reasons why I actually do have an interest in rapid DNA. So at Bodie, several of us, I would say there are other ones in the field. So I'll give shout outs to okay. Nani Grimmer, who's also here at RTI, and then Neil Parsons. So he's actually with Andy now. And then and uh, Dane Plaza, he's still at Bodie. So we are all co-inventors actually on a on a patent where we were able to develop a rapid DNA assay, SNP base. So I will okay. caveat that because people get excited. They're like, oh wow, it's, and it's truly portable on a 11 pound instrument, but it is SNP based, right? So uh, I would say one of my most interesting things that I've ever done at Bodie was we would test our ability to do DNA identification in the field by actually being sent out to the middle of nowhere in the United States. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah, sure. I can, t- I can tell by yeah. your face that it was it was a great time. It really was. I mean, we did this for several years while we were in development of this rapid DNA assay. And the one thing I can remember that I thought was one of the coolest moments of my career is that we hiked up a mountain in Nevada with 
our instrument on our back. It was actually a commercially available instrument um, called the Razor. And so we actually had it in a backpack and we hiked up like four hours to the top of a peak. I had never actually climbed a mountain before. I'm oh, not, wow. So checking very, mini first. I mean, I'm from Florida, so clearly I don't know what mountains are. So we, we hiked up this mountain and we were able to run a DNA sample right there on the mountain. 40 minutes later, we were able to match it to a local database that we had on an iPad. And that was kind of like... That's wow. amazing. No, that yeah. was cool. That was yeah, fun. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. cool. So uh, you were afforded many amazing opportunities, yep. but you obviously have made it to RTI at this point. How did you jump from Bodhi to RTI? So a lot of the work that is focused right now uh, across the country, and rightfully so, are the sexual assault kit. Right. All of the ones that have been kind of backlogged or, you know, have yet to be inventoried. So really getting an assessment on where we are in the sexual assault kit initiative world. Right. I would say, what, three, four years ago is really when they started releasing a lot of money that was not just the Danny money, but the Saki money that was coming out for agencies to be able to inventory where they are with their sexual assault kits and then actually start processing some of those kits so that they weren't just sitting in lockers places. So still is a really important mission for them to be able to help these agencies process their kits. So because of that, a lot of the work that even the R&D group that I ran, we had to kind of shift focus a little bit and kind of help out with some validations and those types of things. And that is all well and good, but it was not something that was my passion. So I remember looking online and I've always been drawn to North Carolina. Mind you, have never visited before I okay, moved here. Right, right. But so, you know, in your mind, in it's my a mind, beautiful place. You got the mountains, you got yes, the beach. It's a grand, exactly. grand state. I heard that RTP was like the science, you know, mecca of the South here. So I was like, well, I mean, I'm a North Carolinian, born and bred, <laughs> so I'm not going to talk that exactly. about it. Exactly. <laughs> I actually was able to find this job on, at this point, I guess I was on a LinkedIn app. So I was back to modern technology, didn't right, have to find yeah, it in a newspaper. Good. So no faxing this time <laughs> no occurred. This time. So I remember coming across the job for the associate director of the uh, FTCOE and I was like oh my gosh like and they were specifically looking for a DNA researcher someone that also had experience with uh, next-gen sequencing which I also had experience leading projects with that at Bodie and so you know I looked at this job description I was like wow this, this seems like it's meant for me so sent them my resume at midnight and then kind of the rest is history all right yeah <laughs> so the FTCOE is what drew you in to yes. RTI I have always been driven by the mission of the stakeholders that we serve always. So even at Bodie, we were the government R&D group. So we served a lot of great missions. And that has always been my passion is to make sure that we are applying science responsibly for our stakeholders. And so when I saw that there was this position for the NIJ, it's such a great mission. It's, It's, you know, disseminating technology and ensuring that research actually gets to the practitioner's hands. I mean, that's an that's an insanely awesome mission. And so it's something that's always driven me is is making sure that I am able to put at least my strengths to something that I believe in. And so the job seemed perfect for me. For the FTCOE, you are the associate director. What does the associate director position entail? Well, I would say that it's probably a jack of all trades when it comes to what is needed of 
my positions. Because I have a forensic DNA research background, I would say that the center really relies on me first and foremost for my scientific background. So I do help to guide some of our activities that are more DNA focused, which I know that that is pretty important to the NIJ. A lot of their grants that they fund are in the DNA realm. So I help with those types of outreach activities and those type of projects. Additionally, I also help to run kind of the day-to-day operations of how the center runs. It's a large program. We have somewhere around the order of 17, I want to say, partners in our consortium that we rely on with different FEPAC universities and also collaborators and consultants. So making sure that those run smoothly and they're all doing their projects on schedule, scope, cost, I, I run a lot of that as well. What are some of the major activities since you've been here that you've been working on? I know right now we are also looking in the forensic DNA realm, really trying to put out some really good deliverables surrounding probabilistic genotyping. It is a really important topic. Again, you know, I like to stay topical as I did with rapid DNA. I also feel the same way about probabilistic genotyping. We got to make sure that, you know, laboratories and analysts are able to um, communicate some of these findings as best they can, which kind of leads me into some of these more social science type projects that we're involved in. So I am also uh, involved in the working group for uh, human factors, and I'm working with Heidi on on her chapter, learning from errors. So that is something that I've actually uh, taken an interest to. And then, you know, kind of seeing where that merge is between the application of forensic science and where that really falls in the criminal justice system, right? Or what is the best way to communicate scientific findings for the criminal justice community? So those types of efforts have really been calling my name. And then also focusing on when it doesn't go right, right? Like I also have a strong passion for things like wrongful convictions, and then post-conviction testing, exonerations, uh, death penalty research. So those types of things that are a little bit more marginal to the actual application of forensic science, but forensic science plays such a critical role in all of those things that, you know, finding that merger between those topics has been a passion of mine as well. Most people who are listening might know you for your rapid DNA efforts. Can you explain what your rapid DNA forum was about this past year? Sure. So we've always tried to stay abreast of some of the technologies that are more topical in forensics, and especially when they kind of have tentacles into the whole criminal justice system. And so rapid DNA is one of those technologies right now that is pretty topical because we do have agencies that are putting these instruments into booking stations. We have law enforcement agents collecting DNA, running DNA samples. And so we wanted to put together a forum where we could bring together the crime laboratories and law enforcement into one meeting to kind of talk out how rapid DNA is being implemented, what's the best way to implement it, and just kind of give the community a forum to be able to discuss best practices of people who have done it and helping guide other agencies that are looking to implement it as well. And so that's something that we're still engaged with. We are working with the FBI to be able to help them, hopefully, with a meeting that they'd like to have here in the future. They have a couple task force that are coming up that are addressing some specific topics in rapid DNA. And then we're hoping to have another forum 
forum where we focus a little bit more on the law enforcement side. I know with our first forum, we had a lot of representation from crime laboratories. And some of the feedback that we got was, you know, this is great, but we definitely would like to reach out to our law enforcement arm to make sure that everybody is discussing it and is on the same page and they can come up with a plan ahead for the technology. And some of the resources that came out of this forum are archived webinars. There was also an in-brief that came out of it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the in-brief just discusses what was detailed at the forum. Exactly, yes. Okay. Our listeners can go to the website and they can access all these resources and kind of get a feel for what was actually covered. And they can see all the presentations. And so if you are listening, please visit Forensic COE to learn more about that. The next question that leads in is, what is the most interesting thing you have seen or done in research? I had this kind of like crazy, like, aha moment actually at the last GRS. Um, So for anyone that doesn't know, uh, the Gordon Research Seminars are, um, they're actually really prestigious in the scientific world. There are dozens of them across every discipline. They hold them every two years um, in in specific disciplines. So they hold, I I guess, hundreds of these. And so recently, James Landers and Joan Bienvenu were the first ones to kind of push this off uh, just over two years ago. And they had the first GRS. um, And so now I am a regular there. I think they are fantastic conferences. So if anyone doesn't know about them, please look it up. We're having another one, hopefully in Italy. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to get to Italy in two years. Um, (laughs) Figure it out. I will figure it out. So I was at the GRS and um, so Dr. Kenneth Kidd, who is a friend of the FDCOE, I know he's been on podcast before, right? Right. Yes. Yes. And we're also going to have him in our DNA season that's coming up soon. Excellent. He is honestly one of my favorite people. He is extremely interesting. I mean, one of the smartest guys you'll ever meet. You know, he's just it's just an interesting character. And so I remember at the last GRS, we actually had a 5k, which actually was more than a 5k. Thank you, Steve Lee. Um, (laughs) In the mountains, he said it wasn't going to be that bad. But I swear it was all uphill. There was no downhill. I don't know how it was possible to not have a downhill, but there was no downhill on this uphill 5K. Anyway, so this 5K, I started it off, and and Ken Kidd also wanted to walk it with us. And so it was kind of like this cool moment where I'm like, I can't believe I'm walking a 5K with the Kenneth Kidd. With the. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like just in exercise gear, like sweating it out. He's got quite the humor, too. He he is. He is funny. Yeah, you don't expect it, but he does. He is hysterical. So that was kind of a cool moment, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And that was this past June. It's June. always in June. Okay. So it's in, in every two years. So it was June 2016, then June 2018. And then the next one, again, Italy, June 2020. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep our eyes open for that one. So in our department at RTI, yes. yes. Um, you are leading an initiative for yes. VR. Would you like to explain what exactly that project is? So we are developing an immersive uh, virtual reality tool to help train crime scene investigators on how best to process a scene. So possibly for recertification or for, you know, training in general. And this requires lots of testing, correct? Yes, it does. Okay. And so your developer, John Holloway, who Mm -hmm. actually does help out with a lot of graphics and a lot of simulations. Part of the FTCOE family. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. He is a jokester. 
Yeah. And he kind of got you one day, didn't he? Yes, he did. And it was actually him and Nani. They they got Nani together. Nani teamed yes, up with Nani him. Nani actually I didn't know paid that out of pocket for a virtual toad to be put into. So we also have one for military site exploitation. And so there is a hostage holding den in one of our, our scenarios. And uh, he had me go down there to test out some new functionality. And he's like, oh, you know, just take a look around. And then I turn around and there's a giant life-size toad. Now, why is a giant toad? <laughs> Explain to viewers why that. Yeah, I actually have a serious fear of toads. I am so afraid of toads. Right. And so you could be heard (laughs) from across the other side of the building. Yeah. It's not all work at RTI. You know, we get a little bit of play. You have to. Yeah. You got to have some fun with (laughs) it. Yes, that is true. If you could have any job outside Mm -hmm. of forensics that you wanted, you didn't have to have any of the qualifications, what would you be? I already know this. And anyone who knows me will know that I love to sing so, <laughs> if you've ever gone to a karaoke bar with me, I it's really hard to contain myself. And I am really bad. Like, that's the thing. Like, I have zero talent. I absolutely sound like, like Shattered screeching. glass is everywhere. Yeah, it's you know. super bad. And on top of that, I can't dance either. Oh, yeah. I know I'm Spanish. I, I super cannot dance. I've so, seen this before. Thank you. Yep. I it's, appreciate I, I, the yep, backing I agree. me up on that one. <laughs> so yeah, so I cannot sing. I cannot dance. But I love to both sing and dance. Right. So And I also have a fantasy of playing every musical instrument. So I did play the piano as a child. So I could play some Chopin, but you can't sing and dance to that. But guitar. Like I have like these dreams. You want to shred. Like, like I just want to. You know what yes. aligns with your personality pretty well it so would. it makes sense i feel like i should yeah, be i think some you sort would do great at it a rock star <laughs> so that would be my if i had zero qualification that would be my job okay right there. i hear yes. you i don't right. even care about the fame or the money i just want to sing and dance <laughs> <laughs> okay let's talk a little bit about the ftcoe what are some of the things that the ftcoe has coming out that uh listeners can get excited for so i would say we are currently um planning for this probabilistic genotyping we're trying to make this kind of a really big thing, right? We're working with ASCLAD, we're working with the FBI, we're working with the NIJ. We want to try to do, I guess, a several part series that is more of a virtual workshop so that people are actually going to be engaged. We want to reach out to all of the uh, vendors that uh, offer probabilistic genotyping software so that they can give demos and possibly even give some problem sets that people can go home and kind of uh, work through them and, and kind of get a real flavor for what it is that they are trying to implement in their laboratories. So that that's really exciting. I would say we're also doing, we're hoping to have another rapid DNA forum. So look out for that. We're looking to have an opioid symposium. We'll have something like that hopefully in the upcoming year. And then we're also doing some really, you know, out of the box thinking on some topics in human factors, some vicarious trauma of forensic scientists. That's a really exciting one that Heidi and I are also in. Also, what's great about the vicarious trauma uh, webinar series is that we just got approval to get ABMDI uh, CEU credits for that. So for both the live and the archived events for up to one year. So that's kind of neat that we're kind of going into the CEU realm as well. Uh, We also have a a great project that was kicked off with West Virginia University, their business school and their School of Economics. So we've got some great content coming out on uh, Lean Six Sigma for laboratory efficiency and then also some economic studies that we've done with Paul Speaker you know, determining what is your real return on investment from doing certain types of cases and and also what is the impact of the opioid epidemic just based on the resources that need to be 
put against you know some of the laboratory functions for handling those cases. It's really actually had a pretty significant impact. And I know that you guys just did a, a podcast with Paul Speaker, so you should check out that podcast. I think that's fantastic. Thank you, Donya Slack, for yeah. being on Just Science. If you are a listener, Donya will be at Ishi. Feel free to try to find Donya Slack with the FTCOE and say hello. So please visit forensiccoe.org. And thank you again, Donya Slack. For thank you. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.